Mountains of Madness kind of, in a way for me, it uh, wraps together a lot of the mythos. So mm. it's got Cthulhu, it's got the Great Old Ones, it's got the uh, the Eons Old City that they find. Um, but it's also kind of like a, a, almost like a 1920s discovery newsreel to me yeah right like those old like indiana you know, jones, indiana yeah. jones yeah. like they're you know, firing off the dispatches they're firing so, off dispatches yeah, right. and it's like discoverers down in <laughs> south antarctica <laughs> find new mountains twirling see newspaper. it on news 11 <laughs> yeah. yeah right like it kind of it tapped into that yeah. that zeitgeist of the time where yeah. oh shit the world is bigger than we think it is right. look at what we found well, it was really truly at that point the last frontier that mankind could tap would have right. been the south pole yeah I, that we couldn't go in the oceans right. as deep as we can nope. now then so it really was novel in that way for me and i i appreciated that like new setting blank slate with the setting and everything I like that it was a lot. interesting yeah, it was really cool yeah to me uh, mountains of madness is 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 the pinnacle of of lovecraft i i feel like with almost every lovecraft story you know, even though I'm obviously a fanboy, uh, I would find something that I, you know, the literary side of me can say mm -hmm. this or that is is obviously flawed. I just enjoy it anyway. Uh, to me, At the Mountains of Menace is the one that I, I cannot criticize. I, I just, you know, I feel like this was his masterpiece. I feel like, you know, he had several attempts at writing a novel or a novella um you know the uh the dream quest of unknown kadith or kadath which i had briefly toyed with us reading was one and uh there was a couple others but um this was the one where he really you know fully committed and uh it was i i think just a profound achievement i really think that this is if i were going to put any piece of lovecraft in the hands of anybody and say read this and if you don't like this then quit now you know this would be the one this would be the one that i would use to try to sell people i can see it. i mean it really does have a little bit of everything you know it's got his um his abstract descriptions of things hinting and alluding at things but there's actual action too yes you see the monsters <laughs> buried you see the yep. the five-pointed vegetable right <laughs> buried with their five pointed dots right, the star-shaped head the dots that make a big yeah point of the dots yeah. you, you there is a description of the incisions and uh the autopsies of the people in the camp when they find them yeah. and then there's the descriptions of the um the catacombs or the great old city which my only beef it's not a really a literary thing it's kind of like a plot device for as long as short a time as they were in the the great old city, they sure fuck learned a lot of those <laughs> that history, man. Yeah. They understood yeah. those. Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, they understood those bar reliefs or those yeah those bar reliefs and yeah those. There's another word that he used. It's just the and, word bothering. And, and this is it. something. This is uh, this is from an earlier. Uh, or it was a concept from an earlier Lovecraft story. Mm -hmm called uh might be the nameless city i forget but there's one where uh someone in this actually i believe that story might be the first time that necronomicon is used uh in lovecraft's nameless city is is a, that what it's called yeah, yeah so in is. that one uh it's a similar premise a guy goes and he finds like this like ridiculously ancient city like predating ancient egypt and everything in the desert 
And as he sort of like descends down into it underground, there's like these uh, bas-reliefs of, uh, you know, these um, lizard people, which he presumes are meant to be like this was symbolic to the culture. So they represented themselves as lizards, the way ancient Egyptians would use like dogs and cats and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, and he learns there from just from studying the architecture and the bas-reliefs, he learns their entire history and he relates it all to us. Only to realize that as he continues his subterranean descent that they actually still exist down there in this, like, you know, abyss in the middle of the world and everything. Yeah. So it was sort of like a primitive concept that he was trying out that he, you, you know, brought back again in mm. much more mm. detail in, at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah, definitely as you do. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting lost on the prose again as I'm scrolling <laughs> through the word. Uh literally getting lost in the prose not like metaphorically <laughs> and what's interesting i think is that at the mountains of madness uh by this point in his career he had toned down the prose a little uh, bit you know his earlier you do feel it yeah i mean if you read his earlier stuff especially the the stuff that's uh inspired by lord dunce dunsany dunce dunsany however you say that um it's even more you know ridiculously overwrought mm. i thought this one was uh I'm sure I have it backwards, but it's like reminiscent of the thing. Oh no, mm. John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm John, sure, reminiscent of. I'm originally... sure John Carpenter took an impression of the separate Cyclopean blocks, which like had. <laughs> well, sorry, just John Carpenter actually about. was actually doing a riff on an earlier 1950s movie called The Thing, but it was the same idea, and it just yep. had that very much similar kind of feel to this. One of the things that I really liked about it was that that sense of exploration. That sense of the new, uh, he really brought in that scientific like analysis. Oh, we found these things. It was pretty amazing. These new drill techniques. We did an, an autopsy. What I found interesting that as I'm reading, I'm going like, okay. And I started trying to figure this out. Like, So these old ones that they had unearthed in this cavern that they'd found, that the original expedition had found and brought up, that eventually wound up slaughtering them all and mm. trying to, to carve them up. They must have been like older old ones because mm -hmm. they were hardier and right. could survive. But why didn't the newer old ones preserve them somehow? Or if they could live that long or if they could be that dormant, like, wouldn't they have discovered their, their elders and brought them back? Like, yeah. There's a lot of weird plot well, holes in there's it. Not they, a... they forget a lot, actually. <laughs> they yeah. do. But they learned that from the base reliefs. They forgot yeah. so much of their own history. Yes, <laughs> as they devolved you into these sewer well, dwellers. They can tell from the art, like itself, like mm -hmm. be descending into a lower Less style, decadent. more yeah. vulgar yeah. style, yeah. or Gathoth, or whatever, become like the whatever more decadent. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's that's one thing. I as many times as I've read this, which is many times. Um, I've never fully answered that question to my satisfaction, you know, like the, but it's sort of the Cthulhu thing, right? Like right. for, for whatever reason, they, they appear to uh, eventually at some point, at some stage, they go into some slumber where they can be resurrected. Um, but I, I don't think it's ever fully explained why. You know, like well, they were hard enough to fly from some distant galaxy or whatever. Another right? skill they lose. But they forget. Yeah, yeah. They, forget. Yeah, they <laughs> forgot how to do that. Let's forget how to make uh, organic matter live from yes. organic matter. Yeah, they can no longer gods. manipulate matter. Yeah. They were gods and they became plebes. But I, I mean, I, I want to talk about that because I, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
dip back into my 12 year old self here. And that was, that was the chapter that like, to me, I, I was blown away by, you know, I was enjoying the story, but then when it went into the whole history, like this mythology of this race that came from like, they were already an established race across the stars. Right. And then they came down to earth and they spread across the earth and they had cities and they were underwater and on land and everything. And then at, throughout the course of their hundreds of thousands of years of history, other races descend. And that's when, that's you know, when you said Cthulhu he ties together. Yeah. Cthulhu comes down and he spawns his whole race of mini Cthulhus and uh, the Migo or the Migo or whatever come down. The crab people, like, you know, he brings in all of his shit. Yeah, and then there's fought. like there's wars fought and like they rise and ascend like empires, you know, and they eventually they go into this slow decline and they like descend slowly back to like their original landing point and everything like that whole chapter to me was like, I mean, sparks were like fireworks going off in my brain at age 12. Like, the best, it was incredible. The best part of all of that are those unnamed mountains of horror beyond the <laughs> other mountains. Like right, got there are this, bigger mountains. Right. Because what Lovecraft did here was very unLovecraftian. He decided he was going to tell you fucking everything. He yes. was going to give you every detail. So in order to maintain the cosmic horror, there had to be a, a different thing, another something thing. else that was terrifying, <laughs> even to the degree, even of more yes. so. And of course, just like it's always that detached perspective. It wasn't the narrator, but it was the dude in the plane with the yes. narrator who saw that shit, and he'll never speak of it because he went it, crazy. He went right. mad glimpsing the mountain. The other mountains of madness. Right. sometimes, but most <laughs> yeah. of the time he just lapses into his insanity. If only he would tell me and relieve himself of, of this the burden. Madness. Yes. Yeah. I actually couldn't oh, find the great. word we were looking for because I got lost in other words. It's B A S relief. Yeah. We just need to know how Bas to pronounce relief, it. But he calls yeah. it a couple other things like there's arabesques, yeah. Bas reliefs, yes. and then there's a third yeah. one that was bothering me. I couldn't Carvings. Find it. It's fucking carvings. carvings. Yeah. You know what really gets me actually, and this is just a dumb thing. They talk about leaving the paper trails. They walk through the city because yeah. you don't want to get lost. And he's like, well, we, we almost ran out of paper. It would be such a big deal to put rock chippings in the walls. We won't do it. Yeah. What does it take to put like an X in a wall? Well, Not I think his point was that it would be like, sabotaging. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like if you discovered like some like new penguins will be pissed tomb in Egypt or something, you wouldn't like you know chip yeah. the shit. Well, right? it pissed me <laughs> off as he kept talking about these giant cube-like structures in the side of a mount a mountain higher than Everest, and I'm like, yeah. and you fucking couldn't figure out that, that shit was made by something. Yeah, You're like oh, the implication we don't know what it means. It's like it must be <laughs> must be some kind of basalt construction we have no knowledge of. I'm like, no, but, motherfucker, those are windows. Did that. Yeah. Those are doors. Those are fucking cubes. Jesus. That reminds me. There's actually a point. You mentioned Everest. There's actually a point in the one dispatch from like whatever the advanced guy is who he says, he's like, these are like, must be easily X amount of feet. Everest is out of the running. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's a contest of mountains and Everest is out. It's disqualified. Yeah. You know, though, like, to be fair, that moment of like, no motherfucker, you're going to get killed. Uh. Yeah. Happens in every horror film. Oh, you know, as point, the reader, it's point. almost dramatic irony. You yeah. know that you know, and they don't. No, like corpse true. is gonna come to life. Yeah, yeah something. Don't yeah. answer the he goddamn phone. It. Oh, there's the heat, the smell, the dogs are going nuts. It's but all what I, you know what I love Mom, about man. this is like there's that scene, right? And you know, like I mean, if you, if you have a good imagination, you can picture those fucking things coming to life and just tearing the shit out of everything, right? And that's great. But what I really love about this is that later on in the story, it. You know, the narrator 
then when he has a better understanding of what's happened, he re-envisions that scene and he he actually feels sympathy for these old ones. And he talks about, like, imagine being resurrected from, like, an ages-old slumber um, and in a, a completely unrecognizable frozen landscape and surrounded by creatures that you don't know what they are and recognize them and these snarling dogs that are trying to kill you and uh and and realizing like you know this whole, this is what you wake up to and i think that is like one of the little things that adds texture to the story is the way that those creatures that early on are fucking horrifying and almost cliche in horror Later on, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, those, imagine their plight. Imagine that. No, I agree. He, yeah. he definitely flips the script on your expectations on that. And, you know, King and Kodos are actually empathetic. You know, it's yeah. a little <laughs> different. I have trouble waking up when my six year old is, like, ready to go. <laughs> and he's, like, all energetic and shit. And I know where I'm right. waking up. And right. it hasn't been E. Let alone sleep. Right. Past Archean time periods of pre No. So, yeah, I get that. Archean. I do appreciate that. I said, yeah, I'm just going to keep coming back to Archean. Uh, I want to slip in Jurassic as well, but that's mm. nowhere near the right time period. <laughs> I think he mentions the Cretaceous. He does there. mention Cretaceous. Yeah. Uh, I do have to say, I think that, unfortunately, science has moved beyond some of his no, word, no verbiage question. when it comes to, like, oh, yeah. eons. Oh, and, no and yeah, he, he read pops. National Geographic and he dropped right. some shit. But yeah, that was, from the 20s. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's science yeah, I mean, that's science fine, because science changes. Yeah, yeah right. science changes, yeah. for sure. Um, any last words on Mountains of Madness before we talk about um, the problem with uh, his racism? We're going to shift hard <laughs> to that one. Yeah. I think we should probably move on. It was, yeah. okay. that, that was one of the better of the stories. Yeah, sure. I think we all enjoyed it. Yeah. It's just, you know, we get, as people who consume literature for fun and a job, hmm. that we can be a little bit nitpickier than most, especially when we are reading in a genre we really like and are well-versed. Yeah, and, and, and uh, this is a good, you know, it's a sort of inversion of our Ghostbusters cast too, where, you know, I said to you guys at the time, I was like, it it was good. I mean, it was fine. Uh, I was like, but you know, I, the difference is that I didn't see it when I was a kid. I didn't grow up watching it over and over again. And I'm like, I'm watching it now as someone in my late thirties. And you know, I mean, like I said, it was good. It was fine. But uh, I think it's, it's sort of the reverse here. You know, I've often wondered, I actually, I, I think Sean and I discussed at one point, where I said, I'm, I'm interested to see what your perspective is coming to it now. Because I wonder what my perspective would be coming to it now. You know, I don't I don't know what that is because I was so young when I discovered Lovecraft. I yeah. was so impressionable. And, you know, a huge part of reading the stories for me now is the nostalgia. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the thing I grew up with that I loved so much. Um, and it's impossible for me to separate that from the stories. It's like me with Lord of the Rings. I'm, yeah, I'm so yeah. inimically tied into my early love of it, and when like my daughter read it, and she was just sort of like, "Man," yeah. I was just sort of like, "What?" They're not to, my child. I know, but I had to come to grips with the fact that you know it hit me at a certain point in my right. life, and I yeah. it was just the right chord to be to be plucked at that time, and yes. for her, it was just didn't hit the same resonance. So. Right, I agree. Yeah. So racism. Yeah. You know, I think I felt it most in Call of Cthulhu when he's talking about the cults and, like, <laughs> the caribs. And, I mean, you know, we... I think you said it one time, Mike. You can't look with 2021 eyes at, you know, books written in the past and then say, like, 
well, that was racist because I think that you wasn't can you, and you can't. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, we would say it's racism, but we wouldn't say like, right. okay, it's it's unfair to impugn that upon the author right. at that point in time. I, you know, I came into this reading it with that prior knowledge from the city crap that we read, and just like my <laughs> understanding, <laughs> yeah. just the, my feeling of like, oh well, then this guy's got to be just dripping with absolute horror and right. his racism, and I'm like, oh, you know, I mean. Yeah, I see it, but it's like that casual, like, 20s, 30s sort of, like... Yeah. I teach Brit I, Lit sometimes. Yeah, this is pretty much I, what the British said. I can't, like... I, I have to take that grain of salt with it because that was... And I don't want to apologize for it because I'm still wrong, but that was, the like, the prevailing attitude yeah. at the time. But then I read a little deeper about it. Yeah, yeah. And Which he, I did not do, so oh, take me to school. He yeah, wrote some essays about, like... Not essays, letters. Oh, yeah. boy, they were, like... Overt, emphatically like, racist, stuff? Yeah. like like the on the on the advent of the Negro or something, right. like just thing, things that were I mean, like basically like, yeah, like phrenology, like this whole thing, like pseudoscience garbage, and it's yeah. like oh, this guy was off the deep end, like not yeah, even a, was, not right. even that casual like like white un- misunderstanding right. of yeah. others, like your grandfather says things and you realize now that that's not appropriate, but right. grandfather grew up in a different right. age, but he it was not, like he didn't that. understand no. it. Yeah, like right, do. exactly. Lovecraft was... No, he fucking he understood it. Straight off. It was, like, off the deep end. Yeah, he was, a, he was wrong. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he understood it was wrong, was like, no, I'm st- I'm going to choose yeah. that end. Did, right. Like, speaking engagements, right. writings on it, like, was, like, so adamantly, almost Hitler-esque I was just about to say, that. being that he was a writer in the late 20s, would he have been... Like someone who Hitler would have tapped and been like, "Hey, you want to do some radio? I've got T. S. Eliot. And I've well, got can, some other guys here." I could see him on the periphery of the American Nazi Party all all day. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's. Uh, I don't. I, I literally do not begrudge anybody who says that you know they do not want to read love crap because he was a racist. You know, I I get it. I understand it. I feel like if I came to Lovecraft now for the first time, knowing all of that, I, I I mean, I just would feel like I wouldn't want to read him in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't even want to be like, well, let me read and then decide. I just would feel like I'm not interested. So, uh, you know, I get all that. I think, I think it is different for those of us who grew up with Lovecraft for, you know, 15 years before any of that, you know, was that, I, I didn't realize that. If I started reading when I was twelve, I was, I was in my early twelve. You wouldn't have in my in my early twenties before I you know I ever heard any of it, right? And mm-hmm. and it's it's there. It's in the fiction, in the sense of the narrators are always people who feel that they're surrounded by you know just ugly, terrifying things that are alien to them and that are threatening to them. The racism is there in that sense. And occasionally it's there in a more literal way. Some of the descriptions of the people in uh, New England as like immigrants who came and moved to the country is like, exactly, you know, like some of that stuff you're like, yeah, (laughs) not cool, man, not cool. You you know, you see it now. Um, But I I have, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to claim credit for this thought. I'm going to give credit to other people, uh, you know, great artists and, and thinkers who have had this thought that I've, I've read, um, you know, and he has great accolades, like people who are huge fans of his, who are not, you know, just white people. 
Uh, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, Oscar award-winning, uh, mm-hmm. brilliant director, is a, a, a you know huge fan of Lovecraft, um, and and we'll get all into this when we go into the pop culture. But um, you know what what these people tend to argue is the fiction could not have been what it was without the flaws of the man. It was that state of his like just fear of the other and his constant state of feeling like he is surrounded by things that he doesn't understand that are threatening that led to the fiction. And that if Lovecraft had been a better man, then he would have made worse fiction. And is that why I suck at writing? <laughs> because you're a good man. Thank that's you. that's what it is. There we exactly. Go. No, and uh, you know what I mean. There, you can agree with that or you can disagree with that. I think that there is some validity to it for those of us who grew up reading Lovecraft and love Lovecraft. You know, the stories could not exist without the flawed human being. Like I, it was that mentality. I that, can't agree more. I, I think as students of literature ourselves, we all understand that when we get into that sort of meta-analysis of, of work and you start to look at how the author's life influences the work, you realize very quickly that nearly every very talented author is fucked up. They have something wrong. <laughs> something is not... Is it, It's just... Think about it. Think of all the great authors. Yeah. There's always some flaw, some break, some missing piece in the puzzle, something that drives them to work so hard on that craft, maybe yeah. to fill those voids or whatever it is, or to make up for those those lapses in humanity, I, whatever. So I'm not apologizing for Lovecraft no. and saying that you know he should get a pass on his obvious xenophobia and racism and everything else, right. but that you're right. It's a part of the work, and you have to understand it, you have to acknowledge it, but at the same time, it like any other you know work of historical, you know, honestly, historical fiction doesn't work in this case, but historical uh, work of fiction from uh, history, I don't know, yeah, different eras, of fiction. That 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 is that is a part of your analysis. That is a part right. of your understanding mm-hmm. of it. You have to make your peace with it. Otherwise, you know, 90% of all human writing, we would just have to throw it away because yeah. humans are flawed. We are flawed creatures. We are not perfect. We strive for perfection. We right. try to achieve it as much as we possibly can. And some actively work against it. Right. But that is the nature of the beast. Well, that's, I mean, that's we're, we're sitting in a room right now where I have much paraphernalia on the wall for Hunter S. It's Thompson. a glorious studio, by the way. <laughs> Thank mm. you. Yeah. But, I mean, Hunter S. Thompson was, like, about as fucked up of a person as, as you could possibly imagine. And, like, you know, he wrote books that are just, like, so meaningful to so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, we live in a country where the people who wrote, like, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that we live by were slave owners. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> you just noticed in that right there. <laughs> pointing to a Return of the Jedi poster. Yes, I yes. just saw that. That's Because fantastic. of slave owning or because you just saw it? No, it's the original. It's, it's great. This yeah. is from the 1980s. This yeah. was given to me wow. uh, by a, uh, uh, an in-law, actually, uh, gave that poster to me recently. So Slick. But, um, you know, to return to the point, I mean, you know, like, and to return to your point, you know, the many, 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 many of the great authors um, were not perfect people. And 
I think that most people uh, are not perfect people. And, you know, the art, if you want to make the argument that you cannot separate the art from the artist, I don't begrudge that. I'm not going to tell anyone that, you know, hey, listen, you need to forget all that racist shit and you need to read Lovecraft. I'm not going to tell anybody that. If that's where you, if, if, if you have already understood Lovecraft to be a racist, and for that reason, you do not want to read the fiction. I feel like I would probably be right there with you if there was an author that I learned about now for the first time that I knew to be racist. I'd be like, I just don't even want to go down that road. Yeah. So I get that. But, you know, I, I think that for when you come at it from the reverse and, and you, you learn in retrospect about like these people that you already admire and you learn about their flaws, then you have to do your own soul searching and you have to decide, is, that, is this a problem for me? And for me, Lovecraft's racism is a problem, but not to the point where I'm like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not enough to, to, to ruin the fiction. The fiction remains what I always loved, and, and I'll always continue to read it. I think it's clear, because of his racism and xenophobia, that he's a scared, scared person. And you can't write paranoid fiction about worlds you don't understand if you're not a scared ass person like wasn't poe very similar to where he was just terrified of the whole world and people yeah and so like he was an awful person who used that to try to understand the world in a way that still wasn't really okay by our standards but wrote some creepy ass shit that i like how you said you know you can read it and say well he's a terrible person this fiction is intriguing and maybe I can learn something of my own self from it. But you can also say, well, there's other fiction I can read out there because right. this person's a racist. I'm not going to support. Well, it's a choice you can that. make. And you yeah. don't have to, just because you've read something from Lovecraft doesn't make you a racist. Yeah. You could also buy his book and then donate to the ACLU or something. Well, go to the library like I did and not pay and for not it. not even pay for it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, like everything, it's it's complicated right. in, in many ways. But I like realizing that people are complicated in general. Uh, agreed. And I, and I, I think that we, we should not be afraid to engage with these things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that it's, it's okay to engage with things that are complicated and that make us uncomfortable. Um, and, and again, that's not to say that everybody has to do it. Um, but I, I, again, I, and I think you just said it, reading Lovecraft does not mean that you are racist any more than watching a violent movie or listening to like violent rap music is going to make you a violent person. You know what I'm saying? Like the idea that video games, you know, it's, it's this sort of idea that video games turn people into violent lunatics. And of course that's widely debunked and there's no evidence supporting that whatsoever. And I, I think it's the same. <laughs> there you go. I think it's the same thing with with authors like Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like another example is uh, uh, Flannery O'Connor. You know, she's wow. one wow. of the great American authors, right? She was very racist, and she was very religious in a very sort of fundamentalist way. You know, things and that those two go together to people. Mm-hmm. I think to everybody sitting at this table would be you know uncomfortable to us in real mm-hmm. life, right? But mm-hmm. like that doesn't mean we're not going to read uh, a good man is hard to find and not be able to blow away by what a brilliant story yeah. it is you know okay. i think it's okay to engage with art i think it's okay to engage with ideas 
that make us uncomfortable. Uh, and I think it's okay to understand that like doing that doesn't mean that we are that. It doesn't right. make us that thing that we read. Oh, it helps you grow a better understanding. To stick your head in the sand is the mistake. Agreed. You you can't ignore all of the shit in the world because you're, your whole life becomes an exercise in trying not to step in the shit. Sometimes yeah. you just got to step in it and just keep going. You know, and that's 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 part of learning yeah. and improving and learning why that's bad. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, you know, it's almost like um, Aristotle's view of what good literature is can only be instructive and didactic in the positive. Well, no, you can also engage in the things that are contra-didactic, like teaching you bad things and engage in it a different way, um, which is kind of a good way to move into the pop culture references. Many of them are, I don't want to say like throwaway li lines, but like callbacks or that sort of mm -hmm. thing. You know, we talked about um, Treehouse of Horror having mm -hmm. a Cthulhu character. But uh, I'm also intrigued into maybe getting to things like Lovecraft Country, which tries to engage in Lovecraft in a different way. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about The City We Became because <laughs> we hate that book. It's horrible. Sorry, Jemison. Uh, but that also tries to engage in Lovecraft in a different way. So it's yeah. almost like you can't engage with it if you haven't read it. Right. That's so. great. I'm looking at Mike's uh, <clears throat> extensive and impressive library behind us I over here. I just want to put a picture of it on the page. <laughs> and he's got, <laughs> like, I, I'm oh, looking at Jemison right there. Are other libraries. books by Jemison. Oh, yeah, she's there. <laughs> well, but you had such praise for her other books that it makes yes, sense. Yes, um, oh, just the one that I've read, the fifth season. Yes, there well, it is. Excellent, excellent book. I, uh, I stand by that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we get into uh, pop culture, uh, I mean, so let, let me come at this again from the standpoint of someone who, you know, has been reading it for many years. Um, Lovecraft was unknown in his lifetime. You know, he had uh, some writer friends uh, that basically carried on his legacy for him and advanced it right. after he died of intestinal cancer in his early 40s. Yeah, he was young. Yeah. Very young. And, uh, you know, so, some of these people were were uh, well-known writers in their own respect. Uh, for example, the, the name is escaping me, but the guy who wrote uh, all the Conan the Barbarian stories. Um, I, know the, I know the name. Yes, it's it. escaping me at the moment. Yeah. But, uh, but that author and uh, several others were big, big fans of Lovecraft. And uh, people that, you know, you referenced the letters before, where a lot of that racist understanding that we have of him came from... Um, you know, people that were the other end of that correspondence. Um, there, there were a, a sort of almost cult following of Lovecraft that after his death, like really continued to keep his stories in print that got his stories published as collections for the first time. He was in some literary yeah. circles at the time. It, right. Yeah. And, and so, but it began to grow in the decades after his death. Right. When I, when I, you know, first started reading him, uh, at some point in the 1990s, um, you know, he had become very popular at that point, enough so that I could find that book and it was in a, you know, just on a shelf at Barnes and Noble. But what, what's really fascinating to me is that even as late as my early 20s, I feel like I was still telling people about Lovecraft. I was still telling people, you know, who are like, I, they like to read a certain type of fiction like Stephen King or, or, or even Edgar Allan Poe. And I'd be like, well, you know, have you ever heard of H.P. Lovecraft? You should check him out. And now that's not the case. Like at some point in the last like 15 to 20 years, his, his, uh, 
awareness of Lovecraft in pop culture has exploded so much so that it's very rare that you mention his name to someone who, not that they've read him, but they know him. Like, they're aware of him as a writer. Um, you know, and, and we, we, we've mentioned The Simpsons. We've mentioned South Park. You know, there's a whole episode. And, I mean, he's he's turned into, like, video games. And he's turned into board games. Well, Metallica's written at least three songs. Metallica's yeah, written we're all talking these a lot songs. about the music. There's a, you can go on Spotify right now. There are actually bands who exist that have named themselves after Lovecraft stories and who write songs that all, uh, you know, uh-huh. reference the, the mythos in some way. Um, there are very famous writers, Stephen King, uh, Joyce Carol Oates, um, who have uh, referenced him as like one of their literary icons. Um, Neil Gaiman uh, is uh, someone we've toyed with doing with uh, perhaps on this podcast at some point. Mm-hmm. A huge fan of Lovecraft. Um, His work definitely attracts a certain like type. It, it absolutely does. And, and, yeah. and Guillar- Guillar- we've mentioned Guillermo oh, yeah. del Toro, the, the film director. Uh, John Carpenter, uh, many of his films are, are are mentioned as being very Lovecraftian right. in nature. Um, and I, I just pulled these two random books because I knew I wouldn't remember their names if I didn't pull them. Victor Lavelle, African-American author. And this particular book, The Ballad of Black Tom, is a rewrite of Lovecraft's most racist story, hmm. and uh, which is The Horror at Red Hook. Hmm. And so I had mentioned when we read the book that shall not be named mm-hmm. that uh, this was a if you want to engage if you want to have a conversation with Lovecraft this was not the way to do it this was just the way to shit on Lovecraft and act like you're better than him the Ballad of Black Tom is the answer to this question it is the rewrite of that story but it's told from the perspective of an African American character and it highlights uh, the economically disadvantaged in New York that Lovecraft shits on in his story. Yeah, right. And it's done, and there's actually uh, an epigram, or, or it might be at the end of the book, but it says, here it is right here, for H.P. Lovecraft, with all my conflicted feelings. You know, and it's, mm. it's, it openly states this book is both in awe and in reverence of H.P. Lovecraft while also condemning what you stood for and trying to, you know, have a conversation mm. with that. And the other book I pulled here is uh, Laird Barron, another author who has written short stories and novels that follow in that Lovecraftian uh, tradition. So the the pop culture reach is just is just huge. It's just awesome, and I feel like it just continues to grow with time. It just continues to pick up steam. I just want to say Laird is a fantastic name. I agree. Yeah. Ba- Laird Barron, the whole Baron. name. A badass fucking name. <laughs> yeah, that guy. That's a Dude, band name. This guy yeah. wears an eye patch. You want to talk about yes, a bad motherfucker? He has to. Uh, he has does to. It, I don't know if he has a picture of him here, but trust me. Can we the man, this man wears an eye patch. Laird Barron, are you <laughs> wow. listening? I believe he lives in Alaska, too. I mean, he's well, pretty sure. Badass motherfucker right there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It does, well, it, no, I was just gonna say it's even gotten to the point where I'm pretty sure you can get like a uh, Cthulhu Funko Pop and <laughs> yeah, a couple of the great old ones. And I bought um, a couple classroom decorations. And the the person who um, did the work, Moxiana at Moxiana on um, Instagram, um, sent me a free Cthulhu plushie because she knew that that was on our um, our logo. Shout out. And she was like, here it is. Yeah, shout out to her. Ding, like, ding, ding. great. Find her on Ko-Fi shop um, for free. And it was this great little like, oh, yeah, that's a cute thing. It's kind of creepy that it's cute. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a lot of people's shtick nowadays, too, yeah. right? Like, that's the thing. Like, it's so creepy. It's cute. and Cutie and creep. Yeah, exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. So I think um, 
the 21st century is engaging with the the Lovecraftian horror in kind of an interesting way. Like, mm. you know, this world is so horrible. We might as well just love these things too. Yeah, he's definitely got his uh, fingerprints all over a lot of our modern sci-fi horror trope kind of stuff. Sure. I, I was thinking, I'm sorry, Sean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I don't know if it's that he was part of a larger movement in the early 20th century and it's just that it was so like uh, co-existent with others that kind of started, like kind of brought a lot of that stuff to the forefront. Like, I, fuck, I don't know, like uh, Bradbury and, you know, he came later, but you know, that same sort of concept or like even uh, going earlier Jules Verne and those sorts of like I don't know like maybe he's in that nascent area of where all that stuff starting to develop but much more overt in the last decade or so that you see Lovecraft really being embraced by yeah that's me you're playing with sorry. the way. <laughs> the uh, being embraced by the um, by the sci-fi community the yeah. horror community mm-hmm. and I think they all understand <clears throat> the complications of his legacy yeah but like you said sometimes the work transcends the author in a way that you you have to try to parse them out right to really truly not throw out the the baby with the bathwater. you know what i mean right that's a great way to put it and it can be instructive too you know i mean because there are those of us i mean go ahead go figure like you know who have been reading it our whole life who are not horrible racist because we've been reading you're not you know? like about for that. shocking you know but <laughs> Sean wants to kick Mike out of the table and there's I mean <laughs> and, 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 and you know to go to what you said about the last 10 years like I, I it's it's even it's gathering more and more steam I mean there's uh, the, the Jeff Vandermeer book Annihilation which got made into the, the Natalie Portman movie just a few years ago very Lovecraftian yeah um, and then there's uh, I just watched I think I told you guys I watched uh, from a year or two ago the Nick Cage movie, The Color mm. Out of Space, which is a, sh- a short story by Lovecraft. And guys, if there is someone better than Nick Cage for playing a main character in a H.P. Uh, Lovecraft story, I don't know I'm who the fuck sure. it is. Jim <laughs> Carrey? This movie is fucking batshit crazy in the best Lovecraftian way. And Nick Cage, you're watching it the whole time going like, yeah. Yes, <laughs> every narrator in every Lovecraft story should be played by Nick Cage. It's fucking perfect. Mm. It's should funny. Should be the, the voiceover for every audiobook. Yeah. All right. Like I'm only telling you this because it's driven me mad, and I'm trying to save humanity. Oh my God. Nick Cage. Um, yeah. Good reference. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean, you know, he he, uh, he he did the color out of space justice. I'll just say that. <laughs> wow, great movie. Well, you know, if you got time for your spooky season watches, there's a great one to add to your list. Yeah, that and Annihilation, both of them. Yeah, yeah. As things start to shift and everything <laughs> dies to that dread season where we return to the Archean times, Precambrian mm. slate falls upon us and we right. we find dead sleep in our eyes. That was beautiful, Adam. Thank you. Yeah. Man, you really, uh, you really embraced the language. What I'm really doing is I'm calling back to my days of being an emo kid. Uh, and I'm just upgrading the diction as I talk. You ever paint your fingernails black? 
No, actually, I bit my fingernails for a very long time, okay, so I could yeah. never paint them. Still emo enough. Yeah. Uh, I wore a beanie in the summertime. Okay. Walked around with a guitar on college campus. Mm. And Did you play Wonderwall? No, I couldn't play it at all. <laughs> actually, I could play one song because it was two chords. And they weren't power chords, but essentially they were power chords. Okay. And uh, What was the song? That was it. It was... Smoke um, on the Water? No. That, yeah, there you go. Uh, it was All Along the Watchtower. Uh, That's no, three chords, I'm man. I'm kidding. Uh, it was Dashboard Confessionals. Um, oh, God. Let's see. Exactly right. There you go. There's my emo phase. Um, <laughs> damn it. What's the name of the song? It doesn't matter. They're no, all it the doesn't. It, it's very similar. Chris Caraba can play guitar. Not accomplished, but still can play guitar. Um, but, yeah. No, it was two chords. Like, you could keep your hand on four strings and, and play the whole song. <laughs> The whole time. Yeah, but you know what? You played a guitar. That's right. Yeah. Played a guitar. Had a, a, a impressed uh, a lady enough to date me a couple times in college. There Most you go. Much. There you go. And that is the entire purpose of the guitar. That is the purpose. So of the mission guitar. accomplished. Yeah. That's why Lovecraft wrote. He's briefly sure married. He was briefly married. He was. That's oh, a yeah. whole other oh, dark story in his dark life. Not work out. <laughs> wow. This is a man who had his uh, father die of syphilis, a mother die probably of syphilis, a grandfather who died, and the family fortune immediately went into like drastic decline. Yeah, <laughs> he had a wife he was married to that he had very like you know not a great connection with, and then but she, she was wealthy. She started living in other places while they were married. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it. You, know, you start to understand the fiction the more you understand the man. <laughs> Lonely, yeah. isolated little man. Yeah. Yeah, the world seemed like a scary ass place and <laughs> right. way bigger than you could ever imagine. All right, so I I think we we've come to that time. Mm. Are we gonna give Lovecraft a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Well, I mean, I'm giving him a thumbs up, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm conflicted. Come back to me. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say a thumbs up. Actually, you know, I like the tone of his pieces. Um, I know the payoff's not great, but it's kind of like a brooding horror that sits there for a while, and this is what I like in the fall. I could read it yes. all the way through yeah, January. Good. Well said. I'm going to give him a, a neutral thumb. What would that be? Thumb sideways. Sideways mm-hmm. thumb. Sideways thumb. <laughs> Only because I'm, I'm trying to balance Oh No, I'm sorry. No, you're, it seems like you're giving him a thumb that is not conformed to traditional understandings of, of Euclidean geometry. It's True. got angles that shouldn't exist. <laughs> oh, when you my stare thumb has it. angles that shouldn't exist. Oh, my exist. God, it does. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. I have a very... Uh... That thumb calls for italics. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> I've got a Lovecraftian thumb. I was like... No, I, I only I only do the thumbs sideways because <laughs> Mike and I are holding our thumbs up. I can't even bend my thumb like that. <laughs> what the fuck? I can't help but laugh. I'm sorry. Why are you doing both? Oh Jesus! Just so casually. <laughs> what the <laughs> shit? His thumbs bend ninety degrees, but not Dude. inwards, outwards. Yes. Yes, at angles that should not <laughs> should be. Not be. <laughs> right. Why did I break this down at the end? There are arches and cubes <laughs> on his thumbs. <laughs> It behaves like a, what was that, a <laughs> convex angle? Yes, and a concave be. as you look at it. What the hell, They're albino man. penguins on Sean's thumbs. Good lord. That's actually my screen name on AOL Messenger was albino penguin. Uh, <laughs> Blind albino, no. 
I, I, I'm going to give them the, the neutral thumb, the yeah. sideways thumb, yeah. as crooked and weird as it is, <laughs> uh, only because of Sorry the complications body. of the history, yeah. mm-hmm. and also that, although I, as a appreciator of the written word, I did get down with the stories, I did, I did enjoy reading them. I uh, I think for the majority of our cast, it's one of those, uh, I don't want to say acquired tastes, it doesn't make sense, but like... I would say uh, tread carefully. That's all I got. I'm gonna leave yeah, it at that. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. be mysterious and half <laughs> and vague and cryptic. Know, cryptic. Yeah. She just starts speaking in mostly guttural noises. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one thing that helps me just to kind of put a fine point on it is he's dead. Yeah. Yes. Right. If he was alive, this would be a little bit more complicated because right. you're supporting a living actor who, or a living writer who. Might still be writing batshit crazy. Right. God, he could be on like Joe Rogan's podcast for Christ's sake if he right. was a living writer. Yeah. Uh, in which case, I would not, probably not support him because that would be sending Th- money. This is a great way. point. This is a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a lot of complex aspects to it. it. When you encounter it, you know, is is one aspect. You know, how much you're willing to. I, when I say willing, I don't mean if you're not willing, I don't mean that in an insulting mm-hmm. way. I mean, literally just. How much are you willing to like, you know, overlook and and engage with it, and um, also like you said, you you don't feel like you're really uh, because it's not a living writing author. You're not supporting someone right now who's espousing these views. I mean, the man died forty some years before any of us were even born, mm-hmm. um, which is not to condone his views, but it's also to say that we're not like paying him for those yeah. views. You know, yeah. so it's like almost looking at like artifacts from a lost culture. In a way, you know, you're it, it's you're yeah. trying to instruct yourself from it. Now, here's the lesson, kids: <laughs> learn to read Bas Reliefs right. in four hours and learn all about an ancient civilization. Pretty much the same. I it's, it's very much akin to this. Just don't be afraid to engage fully with something. Yes, and to really truly try to understand it. It doesn't make you a supporter of it. It doesn't mean you're branded now as a right. whatever that mm-hmm. person was. It just means that you're trying to become a more complete person yourself. Hundred percent. You can engage with things without necessarily approving of them. Right. And you can't disapprove of something that you haven't read. Great point. Too. So I mean, absolutely, you, you can disapprove of it afterwards and say like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, the the carib was terrible. So right. Let's move on. <laughs> thing. Great. Um, I think we should kind of prep the nerds for the next read then, right? Absolutely. As we're getting to that. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna do Sandman by Neil Gaiman, and. Are we doing the graphic novel or are we doing the graphic text novel? Text? Yeah, beautiful. And we'll have to I decide. Uh, we'll have to decide what. <laughs> this is only eight of the ten volumes. Mike just brought over <laughs> a stack of eight of the ten. Yeah, equal in in height, <laughs> almost equal in height to the complete fiction of Lovecraft. Though graphic novels tend to read a little faster. So mm-hmm. as as we've done before, you know, we should tell the audience that like we haven't a hundred percent hammered out what percent we're gonna read. If mm-hmm. it's gonna be a hundred percent or fifty percent, we have yet to decide. But we do know the author and yeah. we do know the work. It is definitely Neil Gaiman and it's definitely the Sandman. Looking forward to it. Yeah, pick yourself up at least the first few. Let's say three, four, at least the easiest this way. We can uh, get into oeuvre and uh, talk as much as we can. So we'll see you next podcast for Doom the fucking movie, y'all. Oh, yeah. Oh, so excited about this. Can't wait. So excited to talk movies with you, all right? So uh, keep it nerdy and keep the drinks flowing. We'll talk to you soon. Ah!